0: And So they wanted a hotel that like people were like, oh, wow, you know, uh-huh. we, we got to be refined enough to stay here, you nice. know, we gotta live a life of luxury. It's very
1: top drawer.
0: This is the Exploring the National Parks podcast with Dirt in My Shoes. My name is Ash and I'm a former park ranger and the founder of Dirt in My Shoes. I think that the parks are best seen from the trail and I'm here to make national park trip planning easy.
1: And I'm John. I carry the kids on the trails, I tell stories and notice all the things that Ash doesn't care about much like trees.
0: Join us as we show you around America's spectacular national parks.
1: We're sharing our favorite places, fun facts, adventures, and misadventures.
0: And we'll even throw in a little trip planning.
1: Let's start exploring.
0: So you might be thinking that architecture or park lodges might sound like a kind of a boring podcast episode. But I don't think it is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, it's so fun and interesting. I love architecture and all the lodges in our national parks.
0: I know. So there are some really cool ones. And today we wanted to just chat about what architecture is because you'll see it everywhere.
1: Yeah. And a lot of people probably haven't even heard of that term before, Architecture.
0: Yeah. It's, I don't think it's a real word, Architecture.
1: <laughs> I think it's been coined by the yeah, National Park Service. It's
0: in, it's in quotation marks, Architecture. Yes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm really excited because you see it all over the parks. It's something that you probably don't think about, at least for me. Like when I'm in the parks, I'm not really thinking about the buildings Mm -hmm. because that's not why I'm there. Yeah. (laughs) But it's just really fun to like have a little bit more history. And as you're driving around to see things and be like, oh, I know what style that is or I know what that's for.
1: Yeah. I think it's so cool because, well, the park architecture, I mean, geez, parks a long, long time ago decided to hey, we don't want to build buildings that just kind of look like, you know, something ugly in such a beautiful place. So I think that it's awesome that they decided to build kind of in a certain style that accents the natural surroundings and it makes everything look so beautiful and pretty. I love it.
0: Okay. So let's talk about what parkitecture is. Okay. Um, Which basically it's the park architecture, Uh but it is a specific (laughs) style. Right. And so it's basically um otherwise known as like rustic style or I've seen it talked about as like arts and crafts style. I guess it's kind of like, like Lincoln logs, mm-hmm. you know, is kinda of what they're thinking. Oh yeah, we'll just gather up some twigs and some rocks and right. which, pile is, them up. which
1: in my mind is very different from arts and crafts.
0: <laughs> well we're gonna that's set what up a
1: quilting it. station, <laughs> you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, well there are cool quilts. I mean you'll find <laughs> all true. sorts of stuff anyway, so it, it is. Um, also known as arts and crafts style. But basically, this is the style of the buildings and signs, other things like that, that mm-hmm. you'll see around the parks that were used in the early days of the National Park Service. Right. And so, in fact, parks started building these buildings in what's now known as park architecture style, mm-hmm. even before the National Park Service was even created.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. A lot. So many of these buildings... Were kind of built before the NPS was even established, you know, because the like some of the railroads and everything were the ones that built some of these lodges. And I don't know, that's there's so much cool history that yeah. kind of goes into this.
0: So, okay, so the National Park Service was established in 1916. And then in 1918, that's when like these official architectural guidelines came out. Mm hmm. But it basically just like reiterated what they'd already been doing. You know, it was just kind of like a, a formality as uh, the Park Service is really, you know, they're really into keeping things formal <laughs> and all the paperwork. Did you, and, you get know. the
1: memo? Yeah.
0: So that's TPS basic-
1: reports. <laughs> if, if catch that reference. <laughs>
0: that's basically what this is. But the whole purpose was to have buildings that blended into nature. Mm hmm. And so they followed these six principles that are characteristic of parkitecture, which basically is just that the buildings should be in harmony with their environment, the buildings should blend together, horizontal lines should dominate, rigid lines should be avoided, stone, log, and timber work should be in scale for a well-balanced design, and stone and log work should be oversized so that the natural forests and rocks don't dwarf the buildings, I thought that one was funny.
1: that one's a cool one. It was
0: like you gotta find the biggest log mm-hmm. so that <laughs> so that the trees around it don't make it look small,
1: oh yeah, oh my gosh, well, in some of these places that we'll be talking about today, that really matters because the trees are just huge, yeah, and so yeah you's got these little tiny, teeny tiny cabins or teeny tiny buildings in these giant forests. We'll just look at a place.
0: Okay. So we have these six features, basically, of parkitecture style. And the NPS, you know, they were kind of already building in this way, and then they made it official. Mm -hmm. But what I love, and this, he's like my favorite person that I never knew existed when it comes to parkitecture, Herbert Meyer. Okay. And Herbert Meyer, he was mostly throughout the 1920s in the Park Service, but he designed some of the first museums. And like interpretive centers, like some of the smaller spots, smaller buildings mm-hmm. in several different parks around the country. And he was an architect and he loved this architecture style. Uh-huh. He went full on, like in the deep end. <laughs> Everything has to be parkitecture. architecture.
1: Parchitector, architecture everywhere. <laughs>
0: that's, that's hard to
2: say.
1: <laughs>
0: and so he designed. Like in Yosemite, you have the Yosemite Museum, which is in Yosemite Valley. It's often overlooked. I mean, it's a beautiful building. It's just not somewhere that... It's not like the other place in Yosemite that we're going to talk about, this Mm -hmm. lodge. So that one and the Glacier Point Lookout.
1: Okay, yeah. up
0: on Glacier Point. And then you have Yellowstone Fishing Bridge, Madison, and Norris Museums. Uh Uh-huh. So they're really small. Like when you go to Norris... And you're going and you're going to hike the Porcelain Basin. You go through like this. It's, it's small. Right. <laughs> this little building to get to your trail. That was his. Okay. Herbert Meyer designed that. And then you have like in the Grand Canyon, one of my favorite spots on the South Rim is the Yavapai Geology Museum. Mm-hmm. And that was him. Nice. And that museum is crazy because it's like you can't even almost tell it's there. It's just right there on the edge. Mm -hmm. And then you can see like the big window, but otherwise it blends quite well.
1: Really well. Yeah, it's camouflaged.
0: Basically, so Herbert Meyer comes in and he designs the Yosemite Museum. And they liked the Yosemite Museum so much that the Rockefeller Foundation, they had private money that they gave in order for him to design the other ones in Yellowstone and Grand Canyon.
1: Cool.
2: So...
0: That was private funding from the Rockefeller Foundation, and it dried up in
1: 1929 Ooh, okay. with the Great Depression. The big crash. Yeah. Which
0: I found, you know, that really affected a lot of National Park buildings Mm -hmm. was the Great Depression and then also World War II. A lot of things had to be stopped or closed down for other reasons. Yeah, it's
1: a good thing a lot of these things we're going to talk about today were built before that. Otherwise, I don't know if we would have ever had such amazing buildings in these national parks.
0: Okay, so that was Herbert Meyer. And he had a big part in just pushing everything kind of towards like this architecture style.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like he didn't have any other big projects in the parks that can be named, uh-huh. <laughs> really. Um, and we'll talk about him again in a minute, but he kind of just coasts through, you know, and he's just like pushing everyone towards this architecture <laughs> style. Uh huh. So in 1935... He hired another architect to collaborate on a book that basically had architectural plans and photos Mm -hmm. for just like hundreds of rustic structures. Cool. And so he had the ultimate
1: coffee table book.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it was like a really cool reference guide for other architects and, you know, people who wanted to design in that style or, you know, um, also for the park service to, because we kind of deviated from architecture for a while and then came back, you Mm -hmm. know, and it was just like really cool reference for us to know, really stay true to that style, that original style. Interesting. And then what's cool about that is that the CCC used that book. When they were building out the parks,
1: nice. you know, and
0: that was kind of his purpose. I think, you know, reading between the lines, it seems like that really was Herbert Meyer's purpose in really wanting some type of reference guide or book like that. Uh-huh. Because when the CCC, the CCC had already been formed for two years by the time that book was oh, published, okay. or by the time it was done. And so I think he mostly probably saw a need of like having some way to have it be more uniform uh-huh. in the architecture style.
1: Right, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's just, I'm learning so much about architecture. This is so cool. I love it.
0: Okay, so then, can you tell I'm getting super, super excited <laughs> about this? I don't I know. know. It's just Ash, like so fun. Ash
1: loves architecture so much, so she's so excited. I'm so glad that she's just like going off on it right now. It's awesome. I know.
0: And if you don't like this episode. I will be offended because (laughs) this is like the type of stuff I really think is cool. Mm -hmm. So really like when the architecture, so a lot of these like early lodges that we'll talk about were built well before the CCC. Mm -hmm. The CCC, what that is, in case you're not familiar, is after the Great Depression, when the country was trying to bounce back, FDR created basically this program mm-hmm. for young men to go out into the wilderness and like build trails and build buildings mm-hmm. and put in infrastructure in all these beautiful places
1: yeah giving a lot of out of work people back to work doing something and it was there's a there's actually a big museum for the ccc like in the shenandoah Area. Yeah, that,
0: that, that museum in shenandoah is so cool it's so
1: I cool really loved that. i don't think i realized until we went through that museum which is awesome but how much they actually did throughout the whole country like i've seen signs like pretty much in every national park if you go through you'll see like a sign about the ccc or something like that or an informative placard you know that says that the ccc built this But that museum really just like put it in perspective. Like, wow, they did so much to make the parks accessible. Because I don't know, I think that before the CCC, I mean, there were a few ways to access the parks, but nothing like we have today. No,
0: I mean, they did a ton. They were building trails like crazy. They were putting in all that infrastructure. And a lot of what you see in the parks now is remnants of that era still, Mm -hmm. you know? And so like, even when you like, go camping in a national park service campground and it, you know the spots are too small for your trailer and you know it's just <laughs> like who set this up uh-huh. a lot of it was the civilian conservation corps
2: mm-hmm. you know the
0: ccc back in the 1930s yeah exactly. and so i just think it's really cool i mean we could do a whole episode just about the ccc but what is cool about this, this really ran from 1933 to 1942. They were doing trails. They were doing buildings. They were doing signs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all those old just like I love the old park signs that you see as you're going around the parks, you know, and mm-hmm. it can be something as simple as just like it says, like, Canyon Village, right. in Yellowstone or something. Uh-huh. But like it's like a specific style. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's all the adornments of the national parks, you know, next to the roads and all the buildings and things like that, that just kind of set the mood in yeah. a lot of ways for your experience. And yes. it's so cool.
0: So that's part of architecture as well. But here's the funny thing. And this is what I love is that so the CCC for like those, what was it, like nine years are going through the country and building up all this stuff. And they're following like this architecture style. Mm-hmm. But guess who's working in the background of that?
1: The Meyer guy? Yeah, it's Herbert Meyer. <laughs> Herbert Meyer.
0: Um, Here he comes back, you know, so he writes this book here. He collaborates on this book that has like all the plans and designs and stuff that mm-hmm. he feels like, you know, this is architecture. Right. But he actually, at the time of the CCC, was the CCC's regional officer for the Southwest.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: so he just like... He had so much leeway <laughs> to just go in <laughs> and just push this, like, architecture through all of this stuff that he was in charge of.
1: Nice. He's just the puppet master in the background pulling the strings. Yeah, You know, getting exactly. everybody <laughs> to do it the right way. It's oh, yeah. awesome.
0: Yeah. And so at the end of the CCC in 1942, the Park Service did switch to something that looked more modern. And so that's why, you know, sometimes you'll go into the parks and you'll see buildings that it's like what's that, you know? (laughs) But they really, I mean, they really had to cut costs, especially after World War II. Mm -hmm. They just didn't have the money to do that architecture style. It was expensive. Yeah. And so, you know, they really did have to cut down on uh, what they were building and how they were building it. Yeah. And then also, so if you want to dig into this a little more, uh, there was a style known as like Mission 66, which was to try to modernize the national parks and make them more automobile friendly. Uh huh. So that's when you'll see like some different designs and some, you know, more like mid century designs. Okay. They went through a few different, like little, I should say, identity crisis.
1: Some midlife decades. crises in the yeah. National Park Service. <laughs> We're going to get a Corvette. And we're going to update this lodge.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So some of it's not great. But the NPS did go back to the architecture styles mm-hmm. again, starting in the 80s.
1: Thank heavens.
0: I know. <laughs> and so and then you will see like anything they're building now or like when they're restoring things, a lot of times they are trying to get it back to like that original style mm-hmm. or make it look more like it belongs there in right. that national
1: park. Stay on brand, national parks. <laughs> They're
0: trying. (laughs) They learned their lesson, hopefully. (laughs) Yes. One more thing, and then we'll start talking about some individual lodges. Meyer is also the guy who designed the NPS arrowhead.
1: Oh, cool.
0: So that's a really good example of his work and like how much he loved the parkitecture. When you see the arrowhead, so that's like the one I had it on my park ranger shirt. Mm -hmm. There's like a big patch.
1: So that's got the buffalo, the sequoia tree, mountains, and the river on there. Am I missing anything?
0: And then it's in the shape of an arrowhead. And then it's in the shape so that's of an arrowhead. The, the fifth right. one, yeah, nice. Yeah, but that was him too. That's so awesome. Anyway, the, all of that is included in the park architecture. I just think it's such a cool style. So yeah. let's dig into. We made a list of like the hotels or the lodges that we felt like were you know really either the like the most obvious mm-hmm. or the most iconic
1: yeah. examples
0: of that park architecture style
1: oh, there's so many great places in the national parks that are just so cool that are so fun to go into and just they just i don't know they accent your visit in such a cool way i love some of these places so where do we want to start our tour of the national park lodges so let's start in my favorite national park yellowstone The world's oldest and greatest national park. Oldest and best. (laughs) Oldest and best. Yes. And best example of this parkitecture, you can see it all over the park. But I think my favorite example of parkitecture at its finest is the Old Faithful Inn. I mean,
0: for sure. When you're talking about parkitecture, you can't not talk about the Old Faithful Inn. Yes. So we do have to start there. I learned some really cool things about the inn, though, that I was like, oh, that's... I didn't know. Yeah. So.
1: It's, and for if you've never been to Yellowstone or the Old Faithful Inn or something like that, like for the Lord of the Rings reference for the day, it's the real life golden hall of Edoras, you know? And so, like, when you think of Rohan, King Theoden's like golden hall at the top of the mountain right oh, there. I
0: was like trying to figure <laughs> out why that. Even... Okay.
1: <laughs> sure, John. No, it's the best. That's where it's like they. Hail the victorious dead, you know, that that moment when they're cheering and then Legolas and Gimli have the drinking game, you know, it's the dwarves that go swimming with little hairy women, you know, that moment. Yeah.
0: That's, <laughs> that's, that reminds <laughs> you of the Old Faithful Inn. Yes, the okay.
1: Old Faithful Inn. It's so great. The Old Faithful Inn, I didn't realize this, but it is considered the largest log structure in the world which is so cool. It's so big. And like when you walk inside, like from the outside, I don't know, I think sometimes in national parks, things are on such a big scale so that you don't necessarily notice how big and grand certain things are, you know, like man-made things. And so when you look at the Old Faithful Inn from the outside, it kind of just looks like a giant A-frame cabin.
0: (laughs) Yeah, a really giant one. (laughs) (laughs)
1: exactly huge but yeah it's massive and then you walk inside of it and all of a sudden it opens up from the inside i feel like that's how you tell how grand and big it really is
0: well and it's so open like when you first walk in you know the whole ceiling it's a 76 foot ceiling Mm -hmm. and it's open but then you just have like all of those logs you know like the log frame Uh uh-huh that's all exposed from the inside and stuff. And so you are like, there's so much to look at. It's like sensory overload.
1: It's so true. You So when you walk in, it, yeah, like I said, the the main lobby, it's this huge open space. And but it has one like really big fireplace. It's got one really big fireplace. And then it's got a giant clock on the fireplace. But then you just look up and you just see all of these these layers, all of these different I think that's made mostly out of lodgepole pine, but it's awesome. It goes up six stories. You've got all of these braces or like the different levels. It's almost like it's so big that all of the levels as it goes up higher and higher and higher are braced up by these like trident looking beams. So you've got like a beam and then on each side, a left and a right. Yeah, there's a, little probably a spire for goat. that. What
0: is that? We don't know we're not architects we don't know the names of things (laughs) sorry if you're an architect i know
1: but it's like you've got these uh, it's so big it's like have they came came up with a really cool way of bracing and making everything sturdy and strong you've got all these trident looking beams yeah well and a lot
0: of what is in there there still are like a lot of the original furnishings you know you mentioned the clock Mm -hmm. Um, candelabras are like candle-like looking light fixtures. You've got the inn itself has a giant red door with a padlock that Mm. was just original to it. They Uh never changed that out. And so um, that's really cool. I want to mention that the Old Faithful Inn opened in 1904. Oh, yeah. And so this was well before the Park Service was the Park Service and before... Like we mentioned, you know, they did, they weren't the park service and they didn't have all these architectural designs, you know, formalized. Mm-hmm. But that's what they were going for. That's what they wanted all the rest of the buildings to kind of resemble. It,
1: it, yeah, it's kind of like before park architecture existed, it's kind of like if the Pope went to like Michelangelo and said, build me a cathedral, but you only get to use Lincoln logs and a uh, pile of rocks for <laughs> a pile of rocks for a fireplace. It's like the most incredible architectural genius of just log work you'll ever see. It's so cool. Okay,
0: so what I found was interesting was, so they used the stone that you find in there is a lot of it is from the Black Sand Basin, Mm -hmm. which is another like geyser area just right across the street, basically from Old Faithful. Mm -hmm. And so they pulled rock from there and then they used trees from just down the road And they had a small sawmill right there Mm -hmm. where they were taking these trees, getting them prepared and stuff, and then using them for the inn. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was really interesting because... You know, there's a couple other lodges we'll talk about where they were like, well, you know, they had to bring in all the materials from really far away uh-huh. because it was the national park. It was protected, so they couldn't use the trees. Right. And I'm like, they didn't care about that in Yellowstone.
1: <laughs> they didn't have all those regulations <laughs> yet. they like, no. got trees right there, man. Yeah, we'll just use
0: these trees. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. Uh, another thing that I thought was really funny that I didn't know... Is that the Old Faithful Inn actually has a widow's walk on the very top. And you can see it. Like, it's like a flat part <laughs> along the top that you could walk, flat and narrow that you could walk on. Uh huh. And so you can see it, you know, when you're standing out there. But this widow's walk had a navy searchlight on the top that illuminated Old Faithful. No way. Yeah. Whoa. So that people could see it at night. So they had the giant <laughs> searchlight. <laughs> <laughs> up on the top of the inn that they would shoot towards Old Faithful Oh my so
1: gosh you could see
0: it all the time.
1: That's a, the, this evening's show yes. will be premiering <laughs> at 7.30 promptly, give or take 10 minutes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but they took the light out in 1948, so it's not there anymore. But ah. I thought that was really funny. That'd be actually.
1: so cool. Oh my gosh, that's so fun. Did you, okay, so on the topic of fun things that are kind of at the top of Old Faithful Inn. So as you go in, as you look up, so there's a few different levels that people can like general public can usually access. But above that, it almost looks like a tree house inside the yeah. building. I don't think people, just general public can actually access those anymore. But what they used to use some of those, I think one of them they called the crow's nest. What they used to use that for is they used to put musicians up there. Because back in the day when most people would get here by like railroad or they'd be part of the railroad companies like tourist business i guess whatever people would get here and six nights a week they would have dancing with their meal and so these musicians would be up in the crow's nest up at the top like 70 feet above everybody just playing music and people would be down in the lobby dancing and eating dinner
0: oh my gosh i want to do that
1: <laughs> so bad it sounds like the best way yeah. to party in the national park that would be so, so much fun
0: that is so cool I have one more thing to say about this, and then we can move on. What I thought was really interesting, the architect of the Old Faithful Inn, his name was Robert Reamer. Uh Uh-huh. It's kind of funny. They kind of refer to him as like the Frank Lloyd Wright of Yellowstone, Uh which I'm like, I mean, he probably just wants to be known for his own name, but that's fine. But yeah, so his name is Robert Reamer, and he designed the Old Faithful Inn, which is, I mean, arguably, how do you top that. Yeah. Right.
1: It's so cool.
0: But when I was thinking about like my favorite national park lodges in the architecture style, uh-huh. one that came to my mind that I really love is the Quinault Lodge up in Olympic. Right. That one is so pretty. We're not going to talk much about that lodge, but it's really pretty. But what I uh, realized is that Robert Reamer was also the architect of the Quinault Lodge. Oh, cool. So he did both. He did Old Faithful Inn and he did the Quinault Lodge, but both of them are just fantastic.
1: Yeah, they're so cool. I love both of those places. I didn't realize that he did that one too.
0: Yeah, I didn't either. I mean, I don't think a lot of people even know who he is, but he, I mean, he did some of the best work in parkitecture style, I think.
1: Before it was actually parkitecture.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So Sweet. Yeah, so okay, let's move on to another lodge. Cool. And let's head over to Yosemite, where there is arguably one of the best lodges in any national park. Oh my gosh. But it's, it's an amazing example of architecture.
1: Yeah, it is so pretty. The one we're talking about is the Awani. The Awani. Thank
0: goodness it has its regular name back, yeah. by the way.
1: It <laughs> was, was at the Yosemite <laughs> Hotel for a couple of years. The, no, like, it was the... Mo- we all might as well call it a motel. It was
0: like the majestic Yosemite or something. So, <laughs> quick story. <laughs> there, was a, there was a lawsuit between um, Yosemite and then the, the concessionaire that was running the lodges. And they wanted to take the names of the lodges mm-hmm. away from Yosemite, basically. Yeah, and and like- these are historic lodges. I mean, you're talking 100 years, you know, and they took all the names. Oh, I was so mad. So we was such a
1: weird time. We couldn't
0: call it the Awani, and it wasn't the Wawona. It wasn't, like, it wasn't in It wasn't like, Curry Village. Yeah, they changed all the names to, like, the Majestic Yosemite, which is like, what does that even mean? Nobody cares. <laughs> that's not historic. <laughs> Luckily, they got their names back.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Um, and this was just a few years ago, so... Yeah. Anyway, that's funny. It was just a side note. My little rant, like, <laughs> the Awani is the Awani. It can't be named anything else.
1: Exactly. Oh my gosh, that Speaking was Speaking of fight. the name,
0: Awani actually means Land of the Gaping Mouth. Mm-hmm. That's the Native American name for Yosemite Valley. Right. And so that makes it that much cooler, right? Yes. It's the Native American name for Yosemite Valley, the Awani. That's what the hotel, like the grandest hotel in the park, is named for. So. Yes.
1: Oh, man. And when I think of like fancy hotels and stuff like that in the national park, like the Awani is like, top draw. You know, it's the perfect draw. You know, Just, I don't know. I, I want to do like a funny like New York accent from like back in the day, Great Gatsby style. But I don't know. That's where Great Gatsby would party if he went to a national park hotel. It would oh, be for the Owani. Sure.
0: And the Owani <laughs> opened in 1927. So it was a little bit later, you know, after the park service had already established, hey, mm-hmm. we want this architecture. And it was opened. Right before the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, again, it probably really wouldn't have been built. No. Not to that scale and not to that beauty and not to that expense. Right. You know, uh, because luckily they like squeaked it right in there before the Great Depression came.
1: Yeah. Well, the goal of a lot of these hotels and lodges was to appeal to the highbrow, their ideal customer was a pretty wealthy customer.
0: Well, and if you've seen the guest list for the (laughs) Iwani, here's just a few. Queen Elizabeth II, Walt Disney, Judy Garland, Lucille Ball, JFK. Mm -hmm. I know Obama just stayed there.
1: He was the first one to actually take the helicopter Air Force Two, or I don't even know, Marine One, I think is what it is. Through the Yosemite Valley and land it in Yosemite Valley.
0: Is there a helicopter pad at the Awani?
1: I don't know. Maybe oh, we need. Maybe they just landed on the lawn.
0: We need to go creep around a little bit to <laughs> see what we can find. Um, yeah. I mean, the guest list there is just
1: you know who my favorite guest is. Like all those people are cool.
0: Oh, okay. Let's my see. favorite
1: guest, as I was looking through, who stayed at the Awani, Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner. Those are my two favorite people: <laughs> Spock and Captain Kirk. <laughs>
0: I wonder if they came together
1: Definitely. Was it for like
0: a Star Trek convention or something. <laughs> Comic-Con, early Comic-Con. Yes. At, uh, the Owani.
1: Uh-huh. Awesome. <laughs> Very cool. After their battle with Khan, that's where they went to stay <laughs> to get better.
0: They deserved it. Much needed rest. Yes. So something else I thought was really interesting about this hotel. Well, we haven't really described the hotel itself, <laughs> yeah. to be honest, but like it is In a land where just everything is massive, Mm -hmm. I mean, it is hard to build something that would wow you in that type of environment.
1: Yeah. So just picture yourself. You're in the bottom of this valley. You know, there's huge granite domes and towers and cliffs all around you, huge trees everywhere. And then right here, perched pretty close to Yosemite fall. Is the Alwani, and it they built it so that it kind of resembles and blends in. So you've got a lot of granite stonework, and there's a central tower that just goes up several stories, and then there's like three different wings that go off in different directions. So from the sky, it looks kind of like a Y. I think you've got this wing and that wing, and and another wing, and so it's just this beautiful. If I was to use in the Yosemite episode I referred to it as the Pemberley or the
0: (laughs) it was it was Lady Catherine de Berg yes that's uh, true
1: oh man well no for this episode it's Pemberley okay it's so good oh it's so fun and there's a little pond outside where Mr. Darcy can go swimming and all the girls can you know swoon as he comes out (laughs) and and your family as well
0: along those same lines I mean we all laugh about it like please you know but it's like (laughs) But there is something called the Bracebridge Dinner. Yes. That they do yearly at the Owani and they have done it for decades.
1: Because it is the perfect location for something like this. And what the Bracebridge Dinner is, it's basically like a Renaissance era dinner meal.
0: They transform the Owani into like a an English manor.
1: Yeah, exactly. Hall, like
0: a giant great hall of an English manor. mm
1: mm-hmm. Mhm. And, and then everybody they... <laughs> gets to dress up, you know, and have this cool experience. And it's like a seven or eight course meal. When was the last time I had more than like three courses, you know, in, in my regular life? I never do it. And so people get to dress up, you know, you, everybody's wearing their tuxes and their fancy dresses.
0: Well, and the food, they keep it pretty interesting. <laughs> we say too, you know, it goes with the aesthetic that they're trying to maintain.
1: Ah, oh, it's so cool. But like I said, it's the perfect location for this because when you picture like a Renaissance era castle or a Renaissance era manor, you know, you're thinking huge, big, great halls, you know, and everybody's got their turkey leg that they're just (laughs) eating in a goblet full of, you know, spiced mead, you know, and we're just all, you know, chilling and having a good time and but everything's bigger and grander than real life, you know, and that's what this whole situation is. That's what the Ioanni is. It's bigger than life, bigger than regular life. It's so cool.
0: But they even have a court jester at the Bracebridge dinner. Like everybody, like they have performers in costume and they entertain you throughout your meal. Mm -hmm. And there is a jester, which is kind of like the main guy, you know, like he's he's the the leader of all the fun. He's the
1: life of the party. Yeah.
0: And the original court jester. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just I cannot get over this. The original court jester, because this has been running since 1927. The original court jester was Ansel Adams. Yeah. Ansel Adams, the <laughs> photographer.
1: I only knew him uh, just for his pictures. I didn't know that he would be like a Shakespearean type of guy. That's yeah, pretty well, And cool. they said
0: he wrote some of the script for the Bracebridge dinner that they still use and stuff. But like, he was the original court jester. And so back in 1920s, you could go... And you could be entertained by Ansel Adams, which I just think is so cool,
1: so cool, so like just imagine yourself sitting down in this great hall, and then like every course is announced by like they just they march in like like one of let me name some of these courses they're so cool, but you have like the relish, the soup, the fish, the salad, the peacock pie, the boar's head, and barren beef, the plum pudding wassail and. And this one I can never pronounce correctly because I don't speak any French. The, I want my, and my American wants to say Mignardises. That's <laughs> so bad. <laughs> I think it's like Mignardise or Mignardis. something like that. So, yeah. But like each of these courses is announced by like a chorus of like singing Renaissance era waiter people that are in the play in, in the presentation. And so they march in with this food and everything like that. And they sing a song and everybody is excited. And every course is like it's like a four hour deal. And so it's so fun.
0: We're jealous because we've never been because it's like, it's really <laughs> hard to get tickets and it's really expensive. But if you get the chance, it's like around Christmas time every year.
1: I know. Um, I just love the Ansel Adams though. Like the role <laughs> of it, the jester, another name for it, I like, think that they use is like the Lord of Misrule. Uh-huh. And so he's kind of like, his job is really just to kind of, you know, christmas revelry and drunkenness and like there's a story i think like, the first time he did it to get himself ready he took a few drinks and then like climbed the wall <laughs> <laughs> he like scaled all of these awesome big wooden beams and trellises and just like climbed to the top like <laughs> what else would you do when you're you know drunk and stuff like that you might as well climb the wall oh, yeah Oh, <laughs> yeah,
0: sure. So anyway, we're kind of obsessed with the Owani just because it has a really cool history and it's like star-studded. Yeah. Place. It's just it's one of those just really cool lodges. Yeah. I want to just mention one last thing and that's um that I think the architect of the Owani is also worth noting. Mhm. His name is Gilbert Stanley Underwood. And he also designed uh, the Bryce Canyon and Zion Lodges. Nice. So, we're not going to talk about those ones, but those are great examples they're of beautiful. architecture, too.
1: Yeah, they're beautiful, too, man. They, great but job. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. So, Gilbert Stanley Underwood, he had um, some really notable buildings in this architecture style as well. Right. So Robert Reamer, Gilbert Stanley Underwood, and Herbert Meyer. Those are kind of, you know, the names that uh, will ring a bell as you're traveling through some of these parks and seeing, you know, learning more about the park. The Mount
1: Rushmore of architecture.
0: Yes. <laughs> we need one more. I don't know who it's going to be. Mary Coulter, maybe?
1: Maybe. Yeah. yeah.
0: Let's jump to the next really good example of architecture, And this is a lodge that both of us love, 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 love. Oh, And we are talking about the Many Glacier Hotel Ah, in Glacier National
1: Park. This one is so great. It's the peak of beauty. Like the Iwani and Yosemite is so beautiful. I I mean, it's awesome. But the Many Glacier Hotel will always have a special place in my heart because I feel like that's the one place that I was just like, I can't believe this is all real. Yeah. You know, like... It's this gorgeous, like it's kind of built like a European style, you know, Alps chalet in the mini glacier area. So you've got these huge mountains on all around you. You've got a couple of lakes right in front of you and just glaciers in the distance. And I don't know, it's just so picturesque. It's what you would picture, like, I don't know, type into some type of chat AI, something like that, to create like the most ideal situation. And this is what it would create. I don't know. It's amazing. I love it.
0: The mini Glacier Hotel is just like so perfectly perched. Mm-hmm. It opened in 1915. So yep, it was so, one of the earlier ones. Yep.
1: It was built by the railroad companies. This yeah. was before Park Service was established.
0: Yeah. The Great Northern Railway came through this area and just built a quite a bit of stuff kind mm-hmm. of around here. But this one, you know, at the time it was built. It was the biggest hotel in Montana. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty far removed. I mean, even now when you go up to Many Glacier, you're like, where the heck are we, you know, driving? <laughs> because you do kind of go out and around and up in the road before <laughs> before they fixed it. It really felt like you were like going down a dirt road to nowhere. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's it's pretty far removed, but the location, like you said, just, I mean, It's amazing. Yeah, It it can't be beat.
1: Yeah. I think one of my favorite, we owe a lot uh, for these, in terms of these lodges and like some of these beautiful buildings, we owe a lot to the railroads and their investment in creating these beautiful places for for us to visit. Like, especially the story of the Mini Glacier Hotel. It's really interesting because like the the railroads for a long time, you know, as they were expanding and as like the country was growing and going from coast to coast. The railroads, I mean, their job, the opportunity that these railroad men saw was like, this country has so much natural resources, so much for us to like, we could, if we could get a railroad line out there, we'd be able to, you know, we'd be able to get the, you know, the lumber from there, or this one's got the gold mine or this one's perfect for ranching, you know? So there's all these opportunities for like extracting resources a little bit from all the parts of the, the country and then bringing them to a population center basically so a lot of times what they were doing is they would they'd go out the railroad line would you know fight, get out to this place and then they'd take it back to Pittsburgh you know or something like that well the great northern railroad the guy that was uh the dad of the person that built the mini glacier hotel was known as like the empire builder, you know, in terms of like their railroads. And so he saw this opportunity and he was amazing at getting these railroad lines to places and extracting the resources. His son, Louis Hill, saw an opportunity here. He saw kind of a different resource, you know, instead of extracting the resource, he saw the resource is just
0: bringing people to it. Yeah, yeah.
1: We already have the resource. It's beautiful. It's beauty. Let's reverse the flow from the population senators to these isolated places that are so beautiful. I don't know. These railroads just did an amazing job of bringing people to all of these places. And so their investment and their contribution, I think, is amazing. And so yeah. I, I think it's really cool and worth noting because Louis or Louis, however he's, his mom said it, I don't know. Um, Little Louis. Louis. <laughs> will you build the mini glacier hotel, please? <laughs> No, so he took over for his dad, and then he, they built like eight chalets within Glacier National Park. So, And then he stepped down to focus on building the Mini Glacier Hotel, and they also built the Waterton Lakes uh, oh, Prince the, of Wales. Uh-huh,
0: the Prince of... Oh my gosh. Yeah. That, that hotel.
1: So beautiful. <laughs> and so, I mean, they just... I don't know, the the romanticized version of the great old railroad days, you know, and these great lodges really is alive and well in some of these places. You know, the Mini Glacier Hotel, the Prince of Wales Hotel up in Waterton, just at, above Glacier in Canada. I just think it's so cool. That history is amazing.
0: Yeah, thank you. I think that is a really important part of a lot of these lodges too, you know, and and it's important to note, like, you know, the Mini Glacier Hotel is a great example of architecture. But again, it wasn't like on purpose necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, they were just trying to build something that would accentuate or, you know, kind of fit in uh-huh. with what was already there.
1: Right. Sorry, I'm going to go on my soapbox a little bit here with the Mending Glacier Hotel because it was ama- it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's so cool. But, you know, after the Great Depression, World War II happened, you know, so a lot of these, there was a long period of time where, you know, the railroads kind of went in decline and they sort of sold off. A lot of their investments in a lot of these big structures and lodges and hotels. But then the National Park Service didn't necessarily have the funds to really keep up with the maintenance of a lot of these places up until I think it was like early 2000s or something like that. When like the head of the department interior said that the best way to like, you know, fix up the mini glacier hotel was uh, like a a bottle of gasoline and a match you know that was in the like early 2000s i think so
0: no way yeah and so that, it, no it, the sentiments have changed <laughs> i feel like that's too late because the sentiments have changed a lot but there no, was, was a
1: 2000 two- no united way. states Who secretary in of charge? interior bruce babbitt oh my god a high-ranking congressional committee member that he thought the best tool to repair it would be a can of gasoline <laughs> and a match no because, that's horrible because like there were, I don't yeah, know. but there's,
0: there's a lot of examples of that in yeah. a lot of these lodges, but not that late because what you find, and we'll talk about this with the Crater Lake Lodge especially, but like a lot of people really cared about these old buildings. Mm-hmm. More so than the people in the NPS even, or like the people in charge. And it was the people Mm -hmm. who were like, no, you can't, like, you can't demolish this. You can't mess with this. Yeah. And it was them rallying around it saying, don't touch it, Yeah, which made the NPS be like, okay, I guess we'll spend $15 million to fix this up.
1: Well, no. So there was around that same time. So you had all these competing interests, you know, it's like Congress doesn't want to spend money, you know, people don't want to pay more in taxes. But it was just like there was a huge push to try to preserve this place because the, a lot of the balconies were actually falling off the outside of the building. The whole structure itself was tilting towards Swift Current Lake <laughs> and was like in 15, 20 years was just going to slide into the water, you know? And so this is gross. That is a problem. You'll, this is kind of funny. Inside the Mini Glacier Hotel, inside the dining room, there's these amazing structure of like beams and trusses and everything like that that just make the looking up at the ceiling just gorgeous well over time because they didn't have money to fix anything up and do anything like they just built like a like a drop ceiling so like a fake ceiling that covered up all those trusses because brown bats had moved in to the building and it was so they built this drop ceiling to hide from all the people that were eating lunch down below. (laughs) So I'm just like wondering, like, I wonder if somebody got a surprise in his soup, you know, or something like that. So after this big debate or whatever, Congress did assign like a bunch of money to go towards a big renovation of the Mini Glacier Hotel. It was like a $42 million renovation of this place. And so they stabilized it. They have removed the drop ceiling and the bats. So it's safe to eat it there and everything. We but
0: think. We think. We
1: think, yes. But they all, over time, like, even though that beautiful, like, double helix staircase that's in there, you know, they had removed that because it just wasn't, they couldn't fix it. But they rebuilt so many things back to what it was. And so, I mean, like, if we didn't preserve Places like that. I think one of the ladies, like it was a trust for the national preservation of beautiful places. I don't know exactly, but she said, I think it was Barbara Paul. She said, if we were to lose this, there's no way a building like it would ever be built again in a national park. You know, and I mm-hmm. think that that's kind of true. Yeah. Like the way that our politics in this country is kind of set up, I just don't see us investing as much money as this in build, in building big lodges and things like that. And so what we have is what we have and we've got to keep it, you know? But it's just like, man, there are some beautiful things that we, some of the things that I'm most inspired by in the world, you know, music, art, like natural, pla- the preservation of natural places I'm super inspired by, but also there's certain things that have, people have built. And a lot of times these lodges, like I walk in and I'm just like, I feel kind of inspired, you know? the beauty just kind of lifts me up a little bit. And so we just don't build stuff like that anymore. I feel like very often. I think it's a very unique thing for people to have built these big, beautiful things. And like, I don't know. I just feel like we need to maintain them. And I'm just so excited. I love the mini glacier hotel. I love the story of it. I love that we actually chose to keep it, and to preserve it and to build it back the way that it was. And I want us to do that to all of these lodges. So, Well,
0: I think we are for the most part. I mean, I think it has become quite important Mm -hmm. to most people these days. Mm -hmm. I am surprised that it was like the early 2000s. Yeah. But I have to say my favorite thing, I mean, and I do love the lodge itself and I love the location and, you know, the structure of it. But what I found interesting as I was learning more about the Mini Glacier Hotel is that this place sounded like so much fun for the people who stayed there.
1: Uh There are
0: some (laughs) funny, funny stories. Oh, yeah? So the website I found, the Glacier Park Foundation, they have a great page just like full of firsthand stories from people who have worked there from way back when. But they've had people that had worked there for, you know, 80 years because they loved it so much and just came back and came back and came back. And there are some (laughs) funny stories. One of the things that I think really characterizes this lodge. So it had employee entertainment, which basically, I mean, yes, the employees like had a lot of fun with amongst themselves. Like they did like um, a masquerade party. They would have dances like after they were done working, they'd have these dances and they'd. Said, like, guests at the lodge would always, like, call down to the office. The switchboards would be, like, flaring up from all these people mad about how (laughs) noisy it was from these employee dances. Uh But also, they took turns by department to put on shows for the guests. And so, like, the kitchen staff would take a day, and the front office would take a day, the dining room would take a day, and they would perform for... The guests. Nice. And so I thought that was fun. They also did a Broadway musical once a year for 23 years. Whoa. They had lobby shows. And so, like a really popular one was called Hoot Nanny. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a Monday folk singing show. Uh-huh. That, and the whole staff would
2: sing. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: And so there was just like, oh, the dining room employees would perform during dinner. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, you had to be like, Confident in yourself, yeah, or actually a performer to want to work in that dining room, but yeah, I just thought that was funny. One last story that I thought was hilarious about the Mini Glacier Hotel is that they actually had a sawmill on site. This uh-huh. was one of those other hotels where they're like, Oh, there's trees here, we'll just use these ones. But they had a sawmill on site, and Stephen Mather, who was the director of the NPS. Like, he came to visit the Mini Glacier Hotel after it was done, and he hated seeing the sawmill. I guess it was, like, right by Swift Current Lake, Mm -hmm. and it was kind of an eyesore, and he told the Great Northern Railroad, like, you need to get rid of this. And they didn't, Uh and he requested nicely for a while, and they just never got rid of it. And so he came to the park, and this is the quote, it says, without warning or diplomacy... he personally dynamited the sawmill.
1: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> dynamited it?
0: Yeah, so it said he rounded up all the guests and he invited them outside for a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> and then he dynamited it in oh. front of everybody oh with, like, gosh. no warning. He didn't tell anyone what he was doing, but he was, like, so mad that sawmill was still there. He just blew it up. <laughs>
1: We're having some uh, improv fireworks tonight. Yeah.
0: Well, he said, I guess it was his daughter's birthday. And he was like, it's a birthday birthday." (laughs) surprise. But anyway, I just thought it was funny. Like the stories around that hotel, not only does it have a really cool history, but like the human history, like all the people that have worked there and just like, it's such a large part of a lot of people's lives. Mm -hmm. And the stories are really fun. So definitely, if you like that type of thing, we'll put a link in the show notes to that website. But. It was awesome. It made me love that hotel even more.
1: I love Stephen Mather. He's the best. He
0: doesn't strike me as someone who would have dynamited a sawmill, which is why I think I love that story all the more.
1: (laughs) So he just pushed his buttons just long enough so that now he pushed a very important button. Yeah.
0: Uh, Okay. So moving on to the next hotel, this one is in Mount Rainier.
1: Oh, so great.
0: And it's called the Paradise Inn. And it was open in nineteen seventeen. Mm-hmm. And
1: also sort of under the direction of Stephen Mather, by the way. So the company that started the construction and that built it was the Rainier National Park Corporation or something like that. And that was started by Stephen Mather. And so he's just he's all over the place. He's all over these lodges and these national parks. He's just so cool.
0: What's cool about the Paradise Inn is that it's at 5,400 feet above sea level. And it's right on the south slope of Mount Rainier. So you're literally, I mean, you're there's, in not the mountain. A, there's not a better location yeah. for Mount Rainier. Um, what I thought was interesting is they used timber from the park, but it was from a wildfire 30 years prior. Mm-hmm. And um, they pulled it from like below Narada Falls. So as you're driving up to Paradise to where this inn is, you will pass Narada Falls and they pulled the timber from there. But because it had been burned and and anyway, just the way that it was, it kind of took on like a silver hue.
2: Oh, cool. And
0: so when you go into the Paradise Inn and again, like this one, it has a lot of woodwork. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of exposed wood yeah. and wood beams and so yeah, just notice like that some of the beams and stuff kind of have like a silver sheen. Nice. Which makes it just all the more exciting, right?
1: Uh-huh. I think one of my favorite things, so uh, speaking of all the wood beams at that lodge, it almost seems like they overdid it in a way. And let me tell oh, you, yeah. because it's like, an, so it's an A-frame and it, as you look at it from the outside, you're like, oh, I feel like I've never seen that many you know, beams bracing the roof before. And then you go inside and you're like, if you actually like stand there and look and kind of examine the wood beams and trusses, you're like, I feel like the braces have braces and the supports have supports, you know? Yeah. And they actually do. And do you know why?
0: Because it it was trying to fall apart like many of the <laughs>
1: others. <laughs> no. Well, maybe, but not necessarily it's because like that location Gets, over, gets like an average of 54 feet of snow a year. Yeah. And so they had to build it with so much strength to handle the amount of snow that this area gets. Like, well, it's crazy so, how much snow it gets.
0: So actually, the Paradise Inn, like, it's gone through quite a story. Uh-huh. And it's because of that. I mean, really, a lot of these people who came in and started building lodges in the parks just, like, weren't used to how remote these areas were and like how difficult the <laughs> the seasons can be and things like that and so you know there was there was other buildings up in there um, they had cabins they had anyway other parts of what was known as the Paradise Lodge instead of the inn but anyway they've tried to build stuff up there and a lot of it just has fallen into disrepair and they had to get rid of it mm-hmm. um, and the Paradise Inn. It was sold to the Park Service in 1952, and it was in such bad shape that the NPS was going to demolish it. That was the plan. They were just going to demolish it because it was in, like you said, 54 feet of snow.
1: There was one year they got 90 feet of snow. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Just crushing these buildings.
0: Yeah. And and this is a case where people spoke up and they were like, you can't demolish this. Mm -hmm. This is historic. In fact... The beginnings of the Paradise Inn, that location being used for lodging, Mm -hmm. started back in the 1880s. I mean, it goes way back, Mm -hmm. way back. Right. So this one was finished in 1917, but there had been people like building stuff and trying to create an inn and, and, you know, get something established up there for a Mm -hmm. long time. Yeah. What I thought was the most interesting about this one goes back to the woodwork. So they said um, there was a man named Hans Frank, and he was German, and he was a woodworker. Uh Uh-huh. He was local. But if you go into the Paradise Inn, you will see a lot of his work. Like, he built chairs and tables. He built, um, do you remember in the lobby, there's a piano? Uh Uh-huh. And the piano is, like, carved.
2: Cool. And
0: that's him. Nice. Um, He did, like, outside carvings like around the piano Uh like he didn't mess with like the main part of the piano but like he he like made it prettier nice and then there's a 14 foot grandfather clock that's huge that he carved and so yeah i mean it's really all about the wood when you go in there Um, the other thing that i thought was really funny about this one was that even now like people are kind of disappointed when they stay in this lodge because they said like you can still see like a uh, watermarks on the ceiling from previous leaks uh-huh. and stuff like that. Like on the website, they're like, "Well, you know, we're just like trying to keep it really authentic to like the 1920s when uh-huh. know, was was the main season to be up there. You right. know, it was in its heyday." And I'm like, "Yeah, you know, I'm I." <laughs> We kind of like our, our luxuries a little more these days. Like, yeah. So it's funny because like you, when you're staying in this lodge, you're not staying for luxury. You're staying for experience and location, Uh huh. which I think actually is true of most park lodges.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They, you know. they have a little bit of a historic feel. And I feel like historic sometimes is kind of like HGTV talk for character, you know, sometimes when it might be just like code word for old. <laughs> and maybe not quite as comfortable, but at the same time, like the location, I can't imagine a better location. Is well, I mean, incredible.
0: This, the trail to Myrtle Falls literally starts right from the lodge. <laughs> basically, you can pick yeah. up that trail right from there. So, I mean, it really is just an awesome location. Beautiful views. You're paying for... The experience and the history, you're not paying for the amenities yeah, and, for this one, especially.
1: Yeah. And if you have never been even to Mount Rainier or don't even just think it's like, oh, it's probably a really pretty mountain right there. You know, imagine the movie The Hobbit. And then when the, like, the dwarves and the hobbits like go up and over this hill, they just passed Lake Town and then they're like, see the city of Dale, like right underneath the Lonely Mountain. That's kind of like what this place is like. It's an incredible location. You are literally on the mountain. You know, you're yes. like on one of the lower sections of the mountain. You are right there looking up at the peak of this fiery giant. You know, it's incredible. And so it'll blow you away. It's yeah. it's amazing.
0: Yeah. But speaking of hotels for amenities... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like if you are looking for like a really nice hotel in the national parks, this next one is a good choice. You know, people actually like staying here. And that is El Tovar in the Grand Canyon.
1: Yeah, that one's awesome. It's so so pretty. So
0: El Tovar is right. I mean, it's crazy. It's right on the cliffs of Mm -hmm. the Grand Canyon. I think it said it was 20 feet from the rim. And it's beautiful. I had a good laugh about this one, though, because it said they built it to be a cross between a Swiss chalet and a Norwegian villa. Mm -hmm. And that is because European culture was considered the epitome of refinement. (laughs) And so they wanted a hotel that like people were like oh, wow, you know, Uh we got to be refined enough to stay here. You know, we got to live a life of luxury. It's very
1: top drawer.
0: Yes. But I think that's true as I was looking at the numbers because it was completed. It was open for the public in 1905. Mm -hmm. So this was one of the really early ones. But they spent $250,000 on it. Wow. And in comparison, so the Paradise Inn that we just talked about, they built that one for ninety one K. Wow. The old Faithful Inn, which was right around the same time, it was like a year earlier, they built the old Faithful Inn for a hundred and forty thousand. And El Tovar was two hundred and fifty thousand.
1: So quite a bit so, more expensive. Yeah. But still was... like makes everybody in today's money and real estate market just like what?
0: <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> For Old Faithful, 140,000, that's 5 million today. Mm-hmm. So, what would that make El Tovar? I don't know. A little less than double, like 8 million. Like 8, maybe. 9 million yeah. dollars. Wow. So, I mean, which still is not <laughs> that much. But for the time, it was, that was a lot for yeah. one of these lodges. And so, El Tovar, I think, is just, it's one of those kind of like the Awani where it's like a lot of really famous people have stayed there. Mm hmm. I was just booking lodging in the Grand Canyon a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, oh, it would be fun to stay at El Tovar. And then I pulled it up and I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't think that I'm on an El Tovar budget. Uh, uh-huh. Not these days. But yeah, so it's still known as like the nicest place that you can stay at the Grand Canyon.
1: Nice. It's awesome. And it was built by the Santa Fe Railroad. And so another one of those really like romantic time, railroad heyday places. And so it's just awesome. And the railroad goes right up next to the hotel.
0: Yeah. And it was owned by the Fred Harvey Company, which uh, built a lot there on the South Rim. And what I thought was interesting is that in 1903, Teddy Roosevelt went to the Grand Canyon Mm He went to the South Rim. And then he made like this huge statement that was like, please don't build anything on the rim of this canyon. Like that was basically what he said. Uh
1: Don't change anything. You (laughs) can't improve upon it is what he said. Right.
0: Well, I don't know if that was the exact thing, but it was like it was a good like massive paragraph long of him just being like, don't touch it. Please don't touch (laughs) it. And then um, El Tovar was completed two years later so uh-huh. and they said they already had it in the works like it was already being designed and they were like well too bad
1: thanks for the advice <laughs> sorry not sorry
0: and now you see the south room, and it's like oh man they did not rein themselves in at all <laughs> with all the building they did there uh-huh. but um the other thing that i thought was really cool about this one is you know el tovar is kind of a unique name Mm -hmm. And the Fred Harvey Company, with all the stuff that they were building, they always tried to give it like a Spanish name. Mm. And this one was named after his name was Pedro de Tovar. He was a Spanish conquistador who was the first European to hear about the Grand Canyon. Like he heard that there was a big river and a big canyon. And that was his fame. He never saw the Grand Canyon, so...
1: So, he just told the conquistadors that there was one, and then they came and explored. Yeah,
0: he told uh, the Cardenas Expedition. Okay. Uh, So, it was another expedition. He mentioned, oh, hey, you know, they said there's a big river and a big canyon over here. And then he just, like, went on his merry way, and (laughs) they went up to the canyon, (laughs) so... I thought it was kind of funny that they named it after him. I mean, I guess, but like...
1: Interesting. You
0: know, he didn't actually see the Grand Canyon. so, But he has one of the best uh, lodges in the national park system named after him. Oh, my God. congratulations to Pedro.
1: That's like naming the city of Columbus after the person that told Columbus that something might be across the ocean. Yeah. You know, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. So that one's really pretty. We like going in there. The main lobby, again, like it's kind of... So you get the Swiss chalet in the Norwegian villa that they talk about. You see that on the outside and then you go on the inside and there's like animal heads and lots Mm -hmm. of wood. And, you know, it's not like a giant open ceiling like some of the others. It does have one, but it's kind of feels a little more intimate Uh and the beef stroganoff there is really good
1: yes i do remember that yeah (laughs) i tried that i don't remember what i got but i remember your beef stroganoff that was so good
0: i know i'm so good at ordering food john (laughs) john is terrible at ordering food i order good food
1: it's so true
0: so anyway but that's just a really fun lodge um all the rooms are different when you reserve a room you're like reserving a specific room there's not going to be another room that looks like that one so
1: interesting it's a
0: really fun place to stay if you've got the money
1: (laughs) very cool just for reference my favorite person that according to wikipedia has ever stayed there uh there's two of them albert einstein and sir paul mccartney so those are my two favorite people that according to wikipedia have ever stayed there just thought everybody would want to know i want to tag myself in wikipedia all the places that i've gone to that would be pretty funny all right, moving on. Let's go up to Oregon because Crater Lake has an amazing lodge. The Crater Lake Lodge opened in 1915, so right before the National Park Service. So it's another one of those slightly before park architecture was actually a thing, you know, so it's one of those beautiful places. I loved that lodge. It's so pretty.
0: Yeah, the Crater Lake Lodge is, I mean, it's right on the edge of the caldera. Mm-hmm. You literally are just like, right there. I mean, it's It's, hard to beat.
1: It's crazy, the location. Like, it blows me away every time I'm up there. I'm just like, I'm literally on the edge of a volcano, and there's a hotel right there.
0: Yeah, with the deepest lake in America. The deepest, bluest. Thousands of feet below me. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's so
1: cool. cool. I love that one. That's another place that gets tons of snow, and so they had to like extra reinforce it. Because it gets tons of snow right there, too. And so when they were building it, they were like, we got to make this thing extra strong. So when you see all those beams in there, there's tons of beams that just they're reinforcing the roof and the structure to make sure that the snow doesn't just crush it.
0: Well, but actually, they just barely did that. They completed the lodge for the first time in the lodge's history in 1995. Whoa. So it opened to the public in 1919. Uh huh. But it was under construction in some way, shape, or form for 80 years.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: And that's because when they built it, they severely underestimated how much work it was going to be to get a lodge up there. Uh huh. And how much snow this area gets. And so, I mean, Crater Lake is covered in snow like eight months of the year. Uh It gets 44 feet of snow on average every year. And so they really only have, they said they have like three months to work on this lodge. (laughs) And what ended up happening is it just like it took so long to build. Like the costs were just going up and up and up trying Mm -hmm. to get stuff up, you know, because even when you're driving up to the caldera, I mean, that road is really windy and, you know, you're gaining a lot of elevation.
1: A bunch of switchbacks.
0: And imagine trying to get, like, the lodge
1: materials (laughs) materials
0: up there, you know, without, like, a good paved road. Right. And so that was the problem. They got it up there and then they said, like, it costs so much to get it done that they had to cut some major corners towards (laughs) the end of it.
1: Very diy
0: so they used, uh, like, the, the walls in between the guest rooms. They said it was, like, cardboard. They used something called beaver board. Uh-huh. And, yeah, it's literally just, like, the, the width of cardboard
1: between <laughs> rooms. So you could hear the guy two rooms away from you snoring? Yeah,
0: I'm sure. They only had, like, a small generator for power.
2: Oh, my for god, For the, the, the whole thing. Watch.
0: And then there were, like, no in-room bathrooms, really went cheap on, like, the wallpaperings and stuff. And, like, the furniture was really sparse. And, like they just, like, couldn't pull it together.
1: This, that's, like, the definition of biting off more than you can chew. <laughs> yeah. 80 years of construction.
0: Yeah. So, you know, they make it work. People are still excited because, you know, it's Crater Lake. Uh-huh. You're in this beautiful location and stuff. But, like, the lodge sucks. And then they said, like, in the 1950s and 60s, like, literally everything is just falling apart. They have (laughs) cables stretched between the walls to keep them from bowing.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: Everything was cracking and, like, the walls or the ceiling and the floors were, like, sagging. (laughs) So, and then... The National Park Service took it over in 1967, but didn't do anything with it. And uh-huh. so it just continued to deteriorate. Oh, my gosh. Just like this big, massive, like on the outside, it's gorgeous. But they're saying like the inside was just like, blah, you know, <laughs> just terrible, <laughs> terrible, terrible,
1: terrible. That's what you have to use. Like when you're selling the place to try to make reservations, you have to use all those like really specific adjectives. You know, it's charming
0: yes it's It's lovely it reminds
1: (laughs) me of an older time a simpler time
0: (laughs) yeah when you would rather sleep outside (laughs) (laughs) yeah so the nps eventually they did decide to fix it up and so in 1991 well basically (laughs) what happened is like in the late 80s they were opened it up like they had done some work on it but it was just Bandage, you know, putting a Band-Aid on it. Right. So they did some work. They were going to open it up. And I think it was like 88 or something. And someone came in and they were like, you can't open this up. Like this whole main area they're like it's it's gonna collapse. You can't let people in here, and so they ended Condemned. up.
1: Condemned.
0: Yeah. Well, they said if this part falls, then it's probably gonna pull the rest of it down with it. So you probably don't want to let people stay here.
2: Oh my god. And so they
0: closed it down again. Actually made a plan, and then in like it took them a few years and like a lot of million dollars to finally reopen the lodge in 1995. At which point, now you can stay there and have a good experience in the lodge. It's beautiful. You've got great views. You can sit in the dining room and look out to Crater Lake while you eat. I mean, it really is epic. Oh, yeah. And now, thankfully, since 1995, like it actually is... The structurally sound, as far as we know, and, mm-hmm. you know, everything has been fixed up.
1: That's hilarious. But, I mean,
0: that really is, like, the story of a lot of these lodges, like you were talking about before, you know? It's like, this one opened in 1915,
2: mm-hmm.
0: so, I mean, for the National Park Service, that, it's really important, yeah. you know? That's an important piece of history, and then to decide... We can't do anything with this. This is going to cost so much money. You Just know? a ga-
1: then, can of gasoline and a match would yeah. be cheaper.
0: But then to have people who stand up and say, no, 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 no. Like, you can't, you can't do this. This matters. Yeah. And then to have the NPS, and I'm sure through the help of a lot of these nonprofits that operate in the NPS and stuff, too, you know, helping fund these projects so that, you know, they don't tear them down. Yeah. Because it would be sad to not have the Crater Lake Lodge. It really is amazing. Yeah,
1: it's so pretty.
0: But, you know, it's just, I think it's really cool that, like, as we come into, you know, the 80s and 90s, that's when people start looking around and going, like, we need to preserve these lodges. These these are a piece of National Park history, Mm -hmm. you know. And so there's been a big movement in that direction where it's like, you know, they're taking away some of the more modern signs and the more modern things and substituting with that old style that Meyer, you know, yeah, was pushing so hard in the 20s and 30s.
1: Yes. Oh, that's so cool. I think it's very much like we have stewardship over such an amazing resource. And the National Park Service, thankfully, has done a really good job over the last few decades of keeping these places amazing and beautiful i'm so grateful i'm so happy that they're still there and all of these places that are built in this architecture style are just so cool and so the mount rushmore of park architecture all these different architects and i think stephen mather should be the fourth I think you should be. I don't
0: know. Mary Coulter, which we didn't talk about her, but she did a ton of stuff at Grand Canyon. That's true. I feel like there should be a lady up there. There definitely should be. She was awesome. We could have five.
1: Deal. That's a good compromise. Okay.
0: But if you want to stay in any of these lodges, I highly, highly recommend it. It really does add to the experience in a way that, you know, it's just, it's hard to get that experience elsewhere. So go stay in one of these lodges. But even if you can't, As you're driving around the parks, look around, look at the signs, look at the buildings, you know, pay attention to what the CCC built and just all the cool stuff that you can see. It's a different part of the National Park Service, but it is so much fun to notice as you're driving around the parks.
1: Thanks for exploring the national parks with us
0: please share, like, and subscribe. And if you need any help planning your own trip, click on over to dirtinmyshoes.com.
1: See you next week, same time, same place.
0: And don't forget to get some dirt in your shoes.